Lord. May you show us, Lord, things that yet have not been seen. And may you encourage our hearts this morning. May you uh, show us some nuggets from this area of motherhood that we can take, Lord, and we can use them. And Father, we pray that you would bless every mother in our midst. And that, Lord, you would endow them with wisdom from on high. And Father, we just thank you, Lord, for our mother's presence and our mothers who have gone on to heaven. We thank you that, Father, that we were loved, that we were held, that we were nurtured by a mother who truly cared for us. And we pray, Father, that you would continue to minister and that you would guide the hands of mothers. May you bless them as they perform the work that you have created them to perform. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Ah, being a mother. It is really something. It's not an easy task. It's one of those 24-hour jobs. And that old saying is very true. A child's always on what? A mother's heart. I don't care how old they get. They're always on the mother's heart. They're always in the mother's thoughts. A mother. It comes from the a German word, mother. Uh, and some may question that even. But as far as we can understand, it comes from a German word. Mother has this meaning. A woman who has born a child is a mother. Is a mother. Uh, a mother is a woman as she relates to her children or to her child. She's a mother. Is a stepmother. One who may not be the biological mother, but she steps into the position of a mother to care and to nurture and to raise children. And often that word came from many women who lost their husbands. I'm sorry, men who lost their wives in time of birth. And would marry again because needed, having a need of someone to raise the children while he went off to work. And many children have moved from the position of stepmother and just saying mother. Because they sense that real caring and nurturing of a mother. The other role is simply that area, mother-in-law. Or... That can be a trying one. But she's there in the corner. She's there pulling. Not just for one, but for both. And it's that area, mother-in-law. And she nurtures. She's going to help raise even the children of her sons. Then... A woman having the responsibility and the authority of a mother who may not be a mother. So what kind of title might that be today? 
a foster mother who brings children into their home and show them motherly love, true care, and try to give some direction into a child's life. A foster mother. Mother, an elderly, mature woman, referred to as a mother out of affection and respect. If there's anything needed more so today is also that role. Because we're discovering many of us need to be taught how to be a mother. We don't get a manual on it. My my wife is sharing with some last night over dinner that uh, when she first had Tyler and Tyler had to coop or something and was coughing and crying and she was crying and she was all upset, didn't know what to do and she called her mom. And her mom came over, got a little bit of paragoric, put in water, calmed the child. Child's still crying some. Elaine's still crying some. Finally her mom said, you shut up, because you can. <laughs> and uh, it allowed that to take place. And mom calmed the child, and mom told her, your nervousness is upsetting the child. But oftentimes, don't know that. That one's nervousness may upset the child. We don't get that manual. We don't get the understanding how to be a mom. And, and, and oftentimes, even with mothers, just like with fathers, and when Father's Day come around, we'll spend more time on There is no, what we want to say, perfect mom or perfect dad. Even though we see them in our eyesight. To me, my mom was the perfect mom. <laughs> to raise 14 kids, to bake pies... And like Elaine said, when she came over, all she saw was big pots. Because it was like cooking for an army. Moms have an awesome task. And we're going to try to look at two mothers. One mother who was endeared to her son who would maybe be considered a biracial child in the time that he was born, an off-breed, something else, could have been a Samaritan, because, again, had a Greek father and a Jewish mother. The other one is in Old Testament, who had lost her husband, lost her two sons, and really have nothing. But yet, takes on that motherly role to a daughter-in-law to help guide and to nurture. 
The power of a mother, and just in that word mother, is powerful. When you study it, you have one of the titles in there, Mother of the Church. If you know mothers of a church, in some of our churches, they are very strong individuals. And a mother of a church is someone that even the pastor won't challenge if he got sense. (laughs) But it's that word mother that reflects the power and the authority and the high respect that is often given to them. Mothers are the people who plant the impossible dreams into the lives of our children. For when that child is young, it spends more time with mom than anybody else. Mom helps to develop the hope and the expectation that's in a child. It's the mom who gives the child that courage to say, I can do anything. I can do anything. And, and, and it's that mother who begins to set the dreams of a child. For you hear the child say, You'll hear mom say, what do you want to be? What do you want to be? What do you want to be? And then confirms and allow the child to know. If you're willing to work at it, if you're willing to go after it, you can achieve it. And most young men and women get their courageousness from a mother that is built in. That you can achieve. That is possible. If you're a mom, one of the words you want to eliminate from your children is this. I can't. I can't. And you want to make sure you build into that life. That is possible. To be whatever you want to be and do whatever you want to do. If that's God's plan for your life. You want to build that in. You want to build that. Because life is not always easy. Life has its difficult moments. Life is going to have its hard areas. Life is going to have that place where oftentimes children will think and see, it's not fair. And it's the mom who encourages. It's the mom who says, it's possible. It's mom who says, you can overcome it. It's mom who says, you can do better than me. They give children the ability to imagine. Imagination for a child is important. To be able to perceive or to look into the future in a sense with imagination and believe that you can achieve that. It is something that you're able to do. You put it in their minds. Allow their imagination. Allow that world to grow for them. To develop for them. And then watch them run after what they really imagine. Help them to have that imagination. Don't squash it. Don't tell them, oh, that's not realistic. Because we all like to have a dream. We all want to dream. And people who don't dream, 
are very negative and people who really have no hope. You want to be able to dream and you want to put it in your child's life that they can dream. You know. Who is Miss Atkins' face? And the counselor told her and Gus, you're not college material. You won't never make it. Now Faith holds two degrees. Gus holds a degree. Both are doing fairly well. But Miss Atkins at high school told them what they couldn't do. And me and Miss Atkins had to have a talk. <laughs> you don't tell folks what they can't achieve or what they can't really do. If they're willing to what? Invest in it and put their heart into it. And moms, you want to build that. But allow them to know it won't be easy. It won't be easy. There's some tolling. There's some work in this. There's some effort you got to put into it. There is no easy path to success. And you got to build that into your children. You got to build it in. And then help them to dream big. To dream big. Help them to dream a big dream that is far beyond their ability to achieve. But allow them to know in dreaming big, God is the one who can open the door. God is the one who can bring that to pass. God is the one who will lead you in it. But dream big. And build that in. Build that in. Moms create the climate in the house. They create the environment for really faith and hope. And the child needs both of those that can take root and grow to help develop them, to help shape them, to help give them direction and purpose in life. A child with a vision becomes a bold reason for living. When a child has a vision, they have a bold reason for living. And they're willing to take the risk. And they're willing to step out there. Because they got a vision that's been implanted by a mom. And oftentimes you'll hear children say, Boy, I can do this. Although everybody else thinks I'm going to fail at it. But because mom said I can do it, I believe I can do it. I believe I can do it. It becomes a badge of purpose for the child that they can truly wear. They can truly own it. And it causes them to be courageous in life. The two examples I already gave to you. We're going to look at the first one. Two different situations. But yet a reality. Do, go with me to Acts chapter 16. We don't have much about Timothy's father. But what we do know about the name Timothy, it means to honor God. But we also know this, Timothy is not a Jewish name. It's a Greek name. 
It's a Greek name. And it means to honor God. Mothers, give your children names that they can honor and live up to. And remind them sometime of what their names really mean. (laughs) But here, he has a Greek father. Now, being a Gentile in a Jewish world may not have been too pleasant. (laughs) Yeah, you may have been in some type of authority and you may have been with the Roman army, you may have been whatever... But the thing is, you're still in a Jewish world, so you're not mentally highly thought of. And you are a child that is biracial. And while I'm on it, biracial children still have a rough time today. If you sit down and really talk to them, they still struggle with who they are. And where they belong. And where they will be accepted at. And it causes a lot of problems up here. Before they really can get grounded and settle in some direction at times. Last night we were watching one. A mother who gave up her child for adoption. Some 35 years ago. Because one of her friends, the next door neighbor, who was Caucasian and she was black. And the daughter started looking for her mother. Wanted to know more of her mother's story. And this group who goes out and finds the adopted kids and so forth. Found her mother. And her mother starts sharing her story. Of Why? She adopted her child. And she had the child by herself, not in the hospital. Because her mom and dad, she said, was so dysfunctional. And could not be able to raise her child. And it would not have been acceptable at that time by her father. And to hear her mother give the story of why she was adopted out changed a lot of emotions and feelings towards her mom that she never met. But it gave her more understanding. Children, let me say this to you. Oftentimes you will not understand the story of your parents. I did not understand the story of my dad. Until we got to start spending more time together. I didn't know my father was abused. My grandmother, who I thought was an angel. Boy, three husbands, maybe four. I found another marriage certificate. But never divorced none of them. Just went to the next one because it cost too much money to get a divorce. And yet, to see my father struggle between a biological mother, trying to 
say how I'm going to say this, who somewhat was a very attractive woman in her young age, but very much so. Who accept men into her life that would also abuse her son. So one day she had to put him on a train because he would get beat from not bringing the paper home. He would get beat from not bringing the mail in. He would get beat with just simple foolish things. And he had made up in his mind when that man went to sleep he was going to take the shotgun behind the door and shooting. But was put on a train, sent back to an aunt, who became really the mother. So when his mother died, I wouldn't say there wasn't no remorse or anything, but we didn't see the tears. But when my Aunt Lizzie died, there was tears. For there has been a transfer from the biological over to the one who didn't give birth, but yet loved both those women in his own way. And many children are in that boat today. So moms, do all you can do to show the love for your children. Nobody never takes the priority of your child. Nobody. And Timothy's mother was very careful in this area. Now, history don't tell us if Timothy's father was still alive when Paul comes into the picture. Now, some historians suggest and they say that, yes, uh, Timothy's mother may have accepted the Lord on his first missionary trip. That may be true. We don't really know. But if you start putting the scripture together, you would have to say, okay, there's a strong possibility that that happened based on this. Although she knew the Old Testament, she had to be introduced to Jesus by somebody. And the one who introduced her to Jesus would have been Paul. But then she latched to it because there was already in her a desire to know the Lord. There was already in her that desire to know the Lord. And to live out a godly, motherly example before her son. To live that out. To be that example. So therefore, in 16 it says, He came to Dirba, Dirbi, And then to Lestra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewish and a believer. Now understand that. She never disowned, in a sense, her culture in order to be a what? To be a Christian. She was a Christian. She was a strong believer. And the thing is, she was able to live that life before her son, Timothy.
And it said because the way I believe she lived, Timothy was highly respected. For when the word says, boy, but whose father was a Greek, the brothers of Lestra, Iconium, spoke well of him, not of the father, but of Timothy. They spoke well of him. And if they spoke well of him, where did that training come from that the community would speak well of him? That just didn't happen. This young man was trained. This young man was taught. This young man was nurtured. This young man's foot was put on the right road. This young man knew the Lord. And the fellow believers within the community had a high respect for him. For they knew he was a child of a Greek man who had named him Timothy, one who honors God. And Timothy's life portrays that as one who honors God. And that made it so much easier even for Paul then to even add to the teaching of what mom had already taught. To help to develop this individual. But it started right there at home. Now, moms catch this. It is not the school that raises your children. Now, now really catch this one. Nor is it the church. Those are two supportive things that come under and help support. But neither the church nor the school is to raise your children. That's why God gave you the privilege of giving them birth. That you would raise them. You would nurture them. You would develop them. You would teach them. And you need to understand something when it comes to church and school. There's times you have to be well enough immersed in Scripture yourself to be able to say to your child, we're going to leave this off to the side. But we're going to accept this. We're going to reject this of what the teacher said here. But we're going to accept this. Because you have to be the doorkeeper, the gatekeeper of your child's intellect. Because it is that which is wrong. It is there which is right. It's just not that everything is right. There's a right and there's a wrong. And you got to help that child to understand that. And it says, boy, his mom was a believer. And I want you to catch something here. She stood firm in the scriptures. Go to 2 Timothy 3.15. There's a reason she stood firm. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. There's two main reasons 
I think the scripture points out. And you need to capture these two reasons. See, you can raise a fool or you can raise a person with wisdom. And as that child begins to mature, you begin to see either the foolishness or you begin to see the wisdom. One or the other. But remember what they say, what you put in is what you'll get out. But you've got to put something in there. You've got to put something in there. So in 2 Timothy 3.15, let me get there. He, he goes on. He, he says, And how from infancy... When did when when did she start? Infancy. Even maybe before he could talk. Let me ask you something, moms. When's the last time you took your child in your arms and prayed over them? See, that's just started birth. God, I thank you for this gift of life. God, I think that you have chosen me to be the caretaker for the next 18, 21 years in this child's life. And my prayer for my son, my prayer for my daughter, is that, Lord, you would walk with them all the way through life. And, Lord, I know there's going to be some failures for them, but be there when I'm not there to pick them up. Lord, when they need encouragement, and I don't, and I'm not there to give them the words of encouragement. Lord, encourage them. Pray over your children. Believe me, Satan doesn't wait till your child becomes a teenager to start messing up their life. Satan starts day one. The moment they draw breath. For the father alive will teach them the lie as soon as they can talk. Unless you're there really to guide and to nurture. And it says, boy, Timothy's mother starts, as an infant, you have known the holy scriptures. You have known them, you have heard them, they've been repeated over and over and over again. That your mother was there sharing scripture with you. Sharing the word of life with you. That your mother was right there praying over you. And it goes on and it says, Boy, and now from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you what? Wise. Look what the Scripture is able to do to your child. One Make them wise. Make them wise. The world can make your child stupid, dumb, ignorant, foolish. They can be as intellectually as you want them to be. But without God, all you'll see is foolishness. They can spell every word. They can do math. They can do algebra. They can do this. But when it comes just to life, what you see is a train wreck. Because he says the scriptures make you wise. The scripture make you wise. And what she wanted for her son 
is that he would be a man of wisdom. He would be a man that was wise in making decisions. He would be a man who was wise about everyday life. And that comes from the Word of God. And then the second part of that is to allow him to know this, which is highly important. Not only was he to be wise... For salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That salvation only comes through one person. Jesus Christ. To allow him to know that salvation is only in one name. Jesus. Yes, you have a Jewish root. Yes, you have a Greek root with many different gods in it. But yet salvation only comes through one name. Jesus Christ. Now understand, having a Greek father, boy, there's all kind of gods maybe you could have chose to worship at that time because the Greeks had all kind of gods. Then you have a mother who has only one God. But now her need to recognize Jesus Christ as her Savior. Not so much as God at this moment, but as Savior. Don't lose me in trying to decipher what I'm saying there. Because it's so important. Scripture points to a Savior in Jesus Christ. And she teaches him the Scripture that he won. He would be wise in everyday life. And then he would know the Savior. And that salvation is only in one name. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Go to Proverbs 1 7. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. He says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise what? Wisdom and discipline. That she was giving him knowledge. By helping him to understand scripture. And in giving him knowledge, she was also giving him wisdom. You can have all of human type knowledge. You can have all the learning. You can have doctor this behind your name and everything else. And still be a fool. But with the knowledge of Christ... You can handle life even in this most difficult times. Because God will always give you the wisdom through his word. How to process it and work through it. But it got to be taught. It has to be taught. And her desire was that her son would be wise. And that he would truly know where salvation comes from. One, have a team to help raise your children. Because, see, Eunice had also her grandmother. So, grandmas, you're on a team. It's not enough to, well, that's my daughter's children. That's their children. No, that's your child, too. And the whole process, there's that responsibility because you come part of that team that now helps. The parent to raise this child. And they need that help. 
They need that encouragement. Sometimes I tell my children, yeah, I hope your children put you through what you put me through. Yeah, I want to sit back and laugh too now. (laughs) But we're there to help them. We're help there to guide them through. My grandson called. He said, Grandpa, is paying seven hundred and something dollars a month too much for a car? <laughs> and then I asked him. I said, Did you put the insurance on it? <laughs> the insurance is going to be about one hundred twenty-five, hundred fifty dollars a month. The type of car you're talking about. So you ain't talking just about seven hundred dollars. You're talking about close to a thousand dollars a month. For a car, and have you considered the maintenance on the car? Oh, it's it's under warranty, Grandpa. It's brand new. It got a guarantee. Guarantee don't cover oil changes. Guarantee don't cover the tires on it. <laughs> guarantee don't cover the brakes on it. <laughs> and we just uh, and finally just said, yeah, it's too much for you <laughs> at this time. But I thank God that He respected a grandfather enough. To give a call to. I thank God he he could call his mom and go over the same questions. And he had confidence in hearing what his mom said. And he was able to tell the salesman, no, not at this time. And and, and that's the, the trust that you build into a child. That they can call and they can ask questions that are important to them before they sign or before they do this or before they do that. That they have the confidence that if they call, they'll get an honest answer. Based on this, they know who they're talking to truly cares about them. So, so, So build that team around. So when Paul says... She didn't, I'm going to take Timothy to be circumcised. She didn't argue, well, hey, he didn't live this long without being circumcised. He's okay. No, he's going on ministry with us. And there's going to be Jewish believers who won't accept him the way he is. So it might help him out and help the ministry and help further the kingdom if we get him circumcised. And she entrusted him with her son. Find men and women who you can entrust your child too. Because you cannot raise them by yourself. That's one of the biggest mistakes we make in our society today. Nobody else can touch my child. Nobody else can say anything to my child. Nobody else can do anything. And you even got children saying, huh, authority don't mean nothing. The only one authority my, my mom. The only one who can tell me what to do is my mom. The only one. That's the worst thing you can teach a child. Because see, if they wind up in prison and you ain't there, guess who they're going to listen to? And they're going to make it through school. They're going to have to listen to a teacher. They need to understand. You're there to fight their battles. They're not there to fight their own battles. But you're there for that purpose. And you won't let anything hurt them. But you need to build that team around them who you trust that means good to your children. Secondly, find a good teacher. Someone who can teach your child. 
as they go through the stages of life. Young girls today, one of the things that we have maybe missed with young girls is this. is really teaching them young girls transferring into womanhood. How to be a woman. How to be a godly woman. How to be a woman of respect. How to be a woman that carries herself in a certain way. How to be a woman that really knows how to dress, not so much to attract the wrong folks, but to attract the right folks. See, that takes teaching. That takes teaching. Now, mom, you got two choices in life. You can let the advertisers dress your son and dress your daughter, or you can dress them. Because they'll see what's on TV. I got to have it. The worst thing I hear parents say to a little six-year-old, do you like these shoes? Put some shoes on that boy's foot. and uh, that girl, don't, don't talk about do they like. You put it on now. Oh. Do you like this shirt? Do you like that? No, put it on now. Mom, mom says this or that, boy, I'm trusting what she says. I'm going to do what my mom says because, see, I trust her. You build that in. You build it in. And, and they come to a point, boy, whenever they're troubled in heart, they'll come to you. I don't care how far they're away, they'll call. Because they're trusting your judgment. But you built that in. That you always mean good to them. Thirdly, find a person who wants to help develop your children. Who want to see your children go as far as they can go. Don't mind spending time with them and teaching them. Now you gotta have some who can teach finance, you gotta have some who can teach math, you gotta have some who, who can teach what to really look for in life, the dangers in life. You gotta have these different teachers that are gonna play a role model in a sense in your child's life. Because see, you can't be all those things all the time, but the different people can be. But you wanna make sure you can trust them. Find the person who knows that this is not their child, but willing to accept them as their child. Go to 1 Corinthians 4.17. 
1 Corinthians 4.17. Because Paul knew that Timothy was not his child. He says, for this reason, I am sending to you Timothy, my son. Look at, look at the relationship that Paul considers himself to have. Now, Paul knew he had not fathered any children. He knew Timothy was not his son. He knew that Timothy's father was Greek. But that relationship has so interwined that Paul is able to say, I'm sending my son to you. I'm sending my son to you. And he knew it wasn't his son. And some can say, as we say in the book, yes, uh, he is the spiritual father. But it was more than that. I'm sending my son. When we look over into Ruth, go to the book of Ruth. See if we can pick out a couple of nights. Oh, go all the way back to 2 Timothy 1. Just want to show show you something. Because it does take that team effort. It does take more than just you. And, and, and I don't think the name would have been there if it wasn't a team effort. For he says there in verse 5, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother. So, so what Paul does, he begins to show a generation. Grandmother... Mother, then you. Third generation, believers. Mother, grandmother, mother, Timothy. Who loved the scripture. But I want you to look at the team. Grandma, you're on the team. And it says, boy, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives where? In you. What Paul said, you got some good roots. You have a legacy. You have something behind you. Put something that when your children look back, they got something behind them. In Ruth, you find this woman who had basically had lost everything. Naomi has lost her husband. Naomi has lost her two sons. And the question you have to ask about Ruth is this. Why would you want to stay with a person who has nothing? Why would you want to stay with a person who has nothing? And that becomes the question that has to be asked here about Naomi. Now, Ruth's name means friend. Friend. But Naomi's name means pleasant. Pleasant. It's easy to get along with. It's comfortable being around a person who is pleasant. A person who's always argumentative, a person who's always negative, a person who always got a temper. It's kind of hard to be around them folks. 
but she was pleasant to be around. Had nothing, but was pleasant to be with. Even with a nothing. Really didn't have a home. Didn't have no wealth, money. Had lost husband, lost two sons, but left with these two daughter-in-laws. Orpheus, she, she decided to go back home as Naomi suggested. Go back to your mother's. Go back to your hometown. Go back. But Ruth decided to stay. And my question is, why would Ruth decide to stay? Now, the story doesn't tell us if either one of their mothers were living or not. So we could surmise that, okay, maybe their mothers have passed on. But maybe they're not. But even at that, go back to your aunts and uncles. Go back to the town from which you came from. You got some support back there. Staying with me, you have nothing because I have nothing. Come on down with me in the verse 20. Look how Naomi sees herself. Don't call me Naomi or Pleasant anymore. She told them, call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very what? Bitter. I want to challenge you to moms to do this. God, I think this was Naomi. I've seen both over the years as being a pastor. I've seen a woman who has been very bitter who also who embitters her children because of what the husband or dad has done. And they take the bitterness that is in them and dump it over into their children. I don't think Naomi did that. I think Naomi says, yes, I'm bitter. I've lost a husband. I'm bitter. I've lost two sons. Yes, I'm bitter on the inside. I'm tore up on the inside. But I don't think she allowed it to spill out upon her daughter-in-laws. And I think what they saw was a tower of strength. And their question was, how can this woman live under this pressure? How could this woman stand under this pressure? How did this woman even continue to exist under this Type of lifestyle of having nothing. And make the decision to go back home herself. Because they're in Moab now. There's nothing. And she has heard that the famine is no longer in Israel any longer. For the reason for which they left. That now she's going back home. But I don't think they ever heard bitterness out of Naomi's mouth towards the Lord or what has happened to her in life. And sometimes you can hear 
from women all the anger and bitterness, and it just fills out. If it's there, you and the Lord deal with it. But do not cast it upon your children. Do not sow it into the hearts of your children. And she says to them, yes, I'm bitter, but I don't think they ever saw the real bitterness that was there. Ruth comes to this conclusion. And I think Ruth had to really see something to come to these conclusions about this mother-in-law who was more than a mother-in-law. And if you're a mother-in-law, also recognize this. You're a mother to two children who's trying to discover what marriage is about. Who's trying to live through this thing. You know. And you're mothering too. Your own plus another. And in that verse 16, look what she says. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you. Now, now just think for a moment. What were the qualities in Naomi's life that Ruth says, I want to stay with you? What were the qualities that she saw? What was the character that she saw? That she says, I want to stay with you. I don't want to go back home. She knew what was back home. But what's here is what I want to glean from. What's here is what I want to stay with. What caused Ruth to think in that fashion? And she went on a little bit further. And she says, boy, where you go, I will go. Where you journey, I will journey. I'm staying with you no matter what. Don't urge me to go back. Don't urge me to turn my back on you. Don't urge that. What was it that was in this woman that Ruth saw that says, I'll go through whatever you're going through as long as I can stay with you. And then she says, where you stay, I'll stay. If it's in a pig pen, I'll stay there. If it's in a mansion, I'll stay there. A determination of wanting to be with her. Now, older ladies, let me ask you this. Do you have some young ladies around you that are determined to be around you? That you're able to teach? You're able to encourage? And they find it pleasant being around you? Peter says the older women should do what? But let me share something. Young women don't want to be around a bunch of old nagging folks. They don't want to be around somebody who got all the woes and all the terrible stories of life. But they want to be around somebody who's pleasant, somebody who can encourage them, somebody who can build them up, somebody who can say, honey, you can make it through this. Girl, hey, God's not allowing anything to happen in your life that hasn't happened to a million other folks. They need wise counsel 
Our young women today need godly wise counsel. The question is, where's our older wise women, godly women, that give that counsel? And don't have to go out here and say, come on up under my wing. Come on, come on up under. I got some. Come on. No, that they're attracted. They're like magnets. It just draws. And God can assign. Go attach yourself to this one. Go attach yourself to that one. Go. We need that today. We need that for our younger women. And she said, boy, wherever you stay, that's where I'll stay. And yes, I'm a Moabite. But your people will become my people. Your God will become my God. She's willing to forsake everything to be with Ruth. To be with Ruth. Even to this point, where you die, that's where I'll be buried too. Now, Jump over to chapter 2, 19 through 22. Well, here, it says, Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. She added, the man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish Harvesting all my grain. Now listen to Naomi. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls, because in someone else's field you might not be harmed. Now, now I want you to take the advice that she's giving. But more than that, I want you to understand this. Ruth accepted the advice. One of the problems that we have today, younger women will not accept the advice of who? Older women. But older women keep giving that godly advice. Keep giving it. Because our younger women need it. Our younger mothers need it. They need it. They need it. They need to hear about how to raise a child. I've seen kids grow up and slap their mothers. But when you try to tell the mother when they're young, don't allow your child to do that. Don't allow your child to do that. No, he don't mean it. Yeah, he does. Because that little four or five-year-old knows exactly what he's doing when he's kicking and when he's slapping. He knows exactly what he's doing. This mother one time was sitting and you know how children will do? They will grab your face when they're small. They're on your lap. And they'll feel your face. And they want to pull on your ear like to test it to see if it's real. <laughs> no. And the child asked the mother this. 
Mom, show me your heart. Understand, she's seen the eyes, she's seen the nose, she's seen the lips, she, she, she's seen the ears. And she said, Mom, show me your heart. And Mom says, well, I may not be able to show you my heart, but if you look into my eyes, you might discover what is my heart. So the little girl kind of stood up on Mom's lap, looked into the eyes, and she said, Mom, I see a little girl in there. And it looks like me. And mom said, that's my heart. That's my heart. That's my heart. Did you catch it? That's my heart. Are you saying to your children, you're my heart? You're my heart. And she listens. Well, save time when you get into three, one through four. Naomi tells Ruth what to do in lying down at the feet of Boaz. And when we end the story, Boaz is marrying Ruth. But the thing I want you to understand is this. There was this communication going on between Ruth and Naomi. And Naomi, in every area of this new life of Ruth, was directing her. Was teaching her what to do in a strange culture, in a strange land. And Ruth was willing to listen. And follow the instructions that was giving. And that was built. Now understand something. That was not just built from the time they hit Israel. That was built. That relationship. That trusting relationship. Was built while they was over there in Moab. And moms. It takes more than a mom to build a relationship with the children. It takes input. It takes embracing. It takes love. It takes knowledge. It takes something more sometimes than what you can ever even give because children demand more from you than what you think you can give. But you give it all you have. And watch the child respond. Watch the child respond when you give it all you have. And they know they are the heart of your life. And Ruth knew in one sense she was the heart of Naomi's life. Even though Naomi did not give birth to her, there became such a relationship between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law that you could drop the law and just say mom and daughter. Isn't that amazing? You don't have to birth a child to be a mother. 
you don't have to birth a child to be a mother example. But if you birth a child, be a eunuch. Teach them. Direct them. Input into their life. And the most important thing you will give to them is the scripture. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for giving unto us mothers who care for us, mother who loves us, mothers who nurture us, mothers who sometimes suffer that we might have. 